All right, if you would, uh, open up your Bibles or just look along in your bulletin or just listen uh, closely. Um, we're in John chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. Um, you know, today we begin a new sermon series, and I hope the title of this new series isn't confusing. Uh, this new series is titled, New. One word, N-E-W. Um, in the weeks ahead, we'll be investigating the various ways in which the gospel makes things new. Today, Jesus encounters a well-respected leader in the Jewish community, a man who thinks he has Jesus all figured out. But then Jesus explains to him and to us that in order to get Jesus properly figured out, we first need something to come upon us, a new birth from above. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the disciple John. And how you placed your spirit in him so that he could have life, but even more so that he could write down for us uh, the accounts of Jesus's life so that we can see and enter the kingdom. We pray that you would help us this morning um, to either achieve a new birth in you in this very day or to grow in our understanding of what it means to have this new birth from above. We need your spirit for that, we pray. Amen. You're not 
not one of those born-again churches, are you? Dawn was more than curious when she asked me those words about eight years ago. Back then, Grace Church was brand new, and people on Long Island weren't new, used to new churches. And she wanted to know what kind of church we were, and the quickest way in her mind to separate the wheat from the chaff was to ask, you're not one of those born-again churches, are you? See, in her mind, there were churches, and then born-again churches. I knew I had to be nimble on my toes in how I responded. See, I had once uh, thought similar thoughts about churches and Christians. There were Christians and there were those born-again Christians. I, like her, thought that born-again Christians were the overly zealous wingnuts who took their narrow personal views of God and Jesus and ran through life like a bull in a china closet. So I knew where Dawn was coming from. But I also knew that her understanding of what it means to be born again was filled with all sorts of misconceptions and falsehoods. And I knew I wasn't going to unwind her worldview in five minutes. But I was also desiring to answer her honestly. So I began with some questions. What comes to mind when you think of born again? And why would you be interested in whether we're one of those churches or not? Well, it turns out her mother found Jesus, and became one of those born-agains. Her words, not mine. I smiled and took a deep breath, and I said, I know the phrase born-again carries a lot of negative baggage today, and, and I'm afraid that some Christians are responsible for giving the impression that becoming a born-again Christian is about as desirable as handing over your entire retirement account to Bernie Madoff. It was eight years ago, remember. But then I said to her, but know this, it was Jesus who used those words. And so if you're really interested in understanding what it means to be born again, we would do well to let Jesus define the terms. And this morning we'll do just that. In our passage, Jesus has a remarkable encounter with a prominent man who, like Dawn, did not think that being born again was a good and necessary experience. To which Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, until you're born again, being born again is the last thing on your mind. (laughs) You cannot see yourself at all in need of a new birth. You'll think, yes, you know, I need to improve in a few areas in my life. I maybe need to change some habits, but I have no need for something so radical as a new birth. What I hope we see this morning, though, is that every person is in need of a new birth from heaven. And what I hope we also see is that God lovingly responds to our need. God gives new birth. Through his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to ask three questions this morning as we, in, as we look at this new birth. We're going to look at why is it necessary, what is it, and how do we experience it. First, why is it necessary? i give you the short answer. Because we simply don't need to turn over a new leaf. We need a new life. You know, as I was at home 
studying at my desk for the, prepping for this sermon, I looked down at my eco shopping bag, and on, there's this larger-than-life picture of a monarch butterfly. A monarch butterfly has experienced something like the new birth that Jesus speaks of. Imagine if this could ever happen, but just imagine a butterfly landing on the back of a caterpillar and striking up a conversation. The caterpillar would say, oh, how different you are than I, Mr. Monarch. I'm shackled to these hundred tiny legs, and I'm, neg- uh, and I'm relegated to eating bitter leaves. And when people see me, they say, ooh. But when they see you, they say, oh. You have access to the sweet nectar of the flower. You live out a higher purpose in the world as you get to pollinate plants and trees. It's obvious, Mr. Monarch, that you and I share nothing in common. But oh, says Mr. Monarch, there's something you don't know. I too was a caterpillar like you. Then something took hold of me and bound me up on yonder tree. I slept and slumbered until the days were numbered. And I finally fought to be free. A newborn butterfly, I came to be. In our story, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he is a caterpillar in need of the wings of new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again. And if Nicodemus needs a new birth, then so too must every human being. Why? How so? Well, John introduces Nicodemus as a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. You see that in the first verse there. Pharisees were the elites in Judaism. There were never any more than 6,000 Pharisees at any given time. They took a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would observe, um, um, they would spend all their lives observing the, the finest details of the law of God. If anyone thought that they were certain to participate in the kingdom of God, it was the Pharisees. In addition to be a Pharisee, John, uh, John says that he was, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This means that he was a part of the, one of the 70 members of the high ruling council called the Sanhedrin. There were two types of people who were in the Sanhedrin. There were those who were the priestly families, and then there were those who were experts and scholars in the law. They were called scribes. Nicodemus was perhaps the most esteemed of all the scribes in all of Israel. In verse 10, Jesus calls him not a teacher, but what? The teacher of the law. He's the one that everybody goes to. Everyone looks up to Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus epitomized what hard work can bring about for a person. Nicodemus was an overachiever. The guy that you would say you would like to be like if it... If you could just stop being so lazy or so forgetful or so, you know, whatever. Nicodemus epitomized, uh, was the epitome of what a human being can become through personal reformation and hard work. But Jesus says to Nicodemus and to all of us who think that our problem is simply that we need to change some work habits in order to become who we need to be. Jesus says that is not enough. See, there's no amount of human effort that can bring about the person that you and I need to be. Only God can make us who we should be. And to do this, he must first give us new birth. We can see firsthand how important this new birth is. 
Because without it, you will not be able to get Jesus' identity right. You will not be able to see what God is up to. Nor will you desire to enter into it. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night, which probably indicates kind of a spiritual blindness that he has. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's saying, we see who you are, Jesus. Myself and the other influential leaders on the Sanhedrin, we know that you're a miracle worker from God. Now, Nicodemus' statement about Jesus is true, but it is utterly insufficient. Nicodemus is nibbling around the edges of Jesus' identity, proving that he is essentially clueless as to Jesus' true identity and purpose. Jesus doesn't pat him on the back. No, Jesus tells him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' words are straightforward. You cannot see the kingdom. In other words, you cannot make sense of what God is doing here on earth, nor can you even want to enter unless you experience this new birth. You, like a caterpillar, will scoff at the rumors of how sweet the nectar tastes. The kingdom of God, oh, it can't be all that great, you'll say. And then you go back to eating the bitter leaves, thinking that you've arrived at life's best. To be in a relationship with God who created me, who needs that? To have a new heart that beats for God? Mine's fine the way it is, thank you. I've got important things I'm doing. I'm building my career. I'm building my family. The kingdom of God sounds too constricting for what I've got planned. Fly away, little butterfly. Stop whispering in my ear these notions of a life of glory. See, unless God gives you a new birth, you will not see the kingdom of God the way you ought to see it. You will settle for a small Jesus. You will belittle his miracles as if they're just myths. You will be like the men in this story. The story is told of a workman who had been a drunken good-for-nothing most of his life, and then he was converted. His workmates did their best to make him seem like a fool. Surely, they said to him, you can't believe in miracles and things like that, can you? Surely, for instance, you don't believe that Jesus turned water into wine. I don't know, the man answered, whether he turned water into wine when he was in Palestine. But I do know that in my house, in my home, he's turned beer into furniture. People to this day scoff at the notion of being born again. It's the last thing that they would ever want for themselves. But Jesus tells us that without it, our lives will be a a whirlwind of, of selfish good intentions. But there's hope. There's a new birth that can come upon you. Now, Nicodemus should have known what Jesus was talking about. He was, after all, the teacher in Israel. But he responds with these words in verse 4. He says, "Uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Should he kind of go back in his mom's womb and come out a second time? Nicodemus is stuck in the physical realm. 
So in response, Jesus repeats what he just said in verse 3, but he redescribes the new birth as what? As a being born of water and spirit. Look at verse 5 here. He said, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, uh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, we don't have time to go into all the possible meanings for the phrase born of water and spirit. But certainly what Jesus was referring to would have been something that was really easy for Nicodemus to grasp and understand. And as a Bible expert, Nicodemus would have remembered there's a passage in Ezekiel. We're going to cover it in the weeks ahead. Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises his wayward, rebellious people that there will be a day to come when he gives a new birth. And here's what we read there. God says, he goes, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove your heart of stone from you, um, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. God promises a day of a new birth to come when he will make his people new from the inside out. It's not just a better you, it's a new you, cleansed of sin and finally made fit for a relationship with God, given a new heart that no longer beats for selfish glory, given a new spirit, God's very spirit. This isn't reformation, this is transformation. This isn't the old you with a few tweaks. This is the new you with entirely new capabilities. And unless God does this work of new birth in your life, you will not even feel as if you're missing out on anything. God is giving caterpillar wings, and you will dismiss it as needless myth. And you will never taste the nectar of God's glory taking up residence in you. You will certainly not understand what you're missing out on, And you will not boldly, in in fact, you will actually boldly declare that you're far better off because you're not born again, as I used to do. Do you see it? What's at stake here? A person has no greater need in life than a new birth. Now let's ask the question, what is it? I'm going to give you a short answer, but it might still confuse you. Now I'll try to flesh it out. The new birth is a work of God's sovereign grace, wherein he plants his very own divine life into his creatures, being reborn in God's image. God plants his very divine nature in us so that we can be reclaimed back to him and so that we can finally begin to live as God has designed us to live. Before we look at what it is, we need to understand what it is not. There's millions of people like in America, like my friend Dawn, who think that being born again is to go off the deep end, right? That there are Christians, and then there's those overly zealous Christians that we call born again. The thinking goes something like this. It's okay, I guess, if you're a Christian, but just don't be one of those born-agains. But there aren't two varieties of Christians, as in like Christian light versus Christian born again. Everyone who is a Christian is born again. I mean, we just, Jesus makes it clear. 
that you cannot even want to be a Christian unless you, the priority of new birth has taken place in your life. Therefore, all who are Christians are by necessity born again. Everyone who is a Christian has experienced already this new birth. So now perhaps some timely application then. If you're here today and you consider yourself a Christian, and yet you cannot see in any way how you have been made new, then perhaps you aren't really a Christian. Now let me temper that. That was kind of rough. It's also possible maybe you're a new Christian. We seem to have a lot of those around here. And uh, you haven't been born again long enough to know that you've been born again. So uh, perhaps my story will help you. Back in the summer, of, in the early summer of 1995, I was an atheist. And um, I didn't like those crazy born-again Christians. Um, but later in the summer of 95, I won't go into all the details, but God opened up my heart, gave me new eyes to see, and, and, he, and he put me on a journey, a spiritual journey. So that by the fall of 1995, there was a day when I realized really who Jesus was. My eyes were open. I saw and I entered into his kingdom. And uh, I remember praying and thinking, wow, Mark, you just became a Christian. (laughs) I mean, that's like the weirdest thing. Like a few months earlier, I was like, that was the last thing I would ever want to be. Now, if you were to have asked me on that day if I was born again, I would have been insulted. (laughs) See, I still carry that that meaning as a negative. But then six months later, something else happened. I was meditating on my life and how it's been for the last six months. And I came to realize, I am not the same person. I'm so entirely new that maybe I'm... Holy crud. (laughs) I'm one of them born again. But you know what? I received it and I welcomed it. And I said, how could I not want to be new? My friends, what I experienced in being born again is what scholars call regeneration. See, the gospel doesn't offer you the same you, but more religious. No, the gospel offers you a new you with Christ inside. This is what he's getting at when he tells Nicodemus in verse 6. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In the Bible, the word flesh often refers to our nature, but not just our good nature. It's like our fallen nature. In scripture, we see that God made man in his glorious image and with hearts that, that used to beat for God and with minds that were purely thinking about how they could live a life for God's glory. But early in our existence, man fell from that good nature. And now human nature is corrupted. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we can't do nice and good things. It's true. We're not totally corrupted. But isn't it also true that even the nice things that we do, we often do for our own glory, not God's. So until God gives us a new birth from above, until then, you and I are controlled by our sinful nature. That which is born under flesh is flesh. But oh, Jesus says, that which is born of spirit, wow, is spirit. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says, so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Understand this, to be born of the spirit means that the third person of the Trinity, very God himself, dwells in you. 
God comes down and tabernacles, not there, but here inside. He takes up residence in you. He enables you to, to take in the nectar of heaven, to refresh your soul. He, calls, call, he causes you to marvel at things that you never marveled at before. He causes you to long for holiness with joy. He causes you to love like you never knew you could before. Understand this. Regeneration, that is being born again, it's not a work of man. It's a work of God in man. God is the one who makes all this happen. Becoming a Christian is more like something that comes upon you as God blows his spirit upon you, as he sovereignly wishes. That's what Jesus says in verse 8. He uses an analogy from nature, an analogy of wind. He says, yeah, the wind blows where it wants to blow. Good luck trying to change that. Now, maybe someday we can. I don't know. But you get the analogy. We can't control the wind. Wind blows. We cannot control it nor see it. But we do see its effects, right? Jesus says, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And then he completes the analogy. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, hear what Jesus is saying. You cannot control where the Holy Spirit goes. You cannot control upon whom God places his Spirit and gives new birth. Not that we can't and shouldn't pray that God would... uh, it would give new life to those we love and care for, that they may experience this new birth. We can and we should uh, pray these prayers. But God is the one who sovereignly moves to give someone new birth. I know some Christians kick back at this teaching, but Jesus' words are simple. They're plain. God is the one who first makes the move towards those he gives new birth. God first gives a person new birth Then the person comes alive in Christ. Now maybe you're a little even more perplexed. Maybe you're thinking, how can these things be? Well, let's look at our last question. How do we experience it? See, Nicodemus asked that same question in verse 9. How can these things be? The Greek more literally reads... How can these things happen? In other words, how can we experience this? Listen, guys, if the spirit blows where he will, and since I have no control over uh, over when or if the spirit will blow on me or somebody else, then how can this come about for me? Let me paraphrase what Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 10. He says, Nick, (laughs) that's what he called him, Uh, Nick, You of all people should already know this. You are the teacher of Israel, are you not? You've read the prophet Ezekiel. You of all people should know that there's a day coming of new birth when God will cleanse his people of their sin and put a new heart and a new spirit in his people. And Nick, you need to know, God has spoken from heaven in black and white, on paper. You've been reading it. Nick, you of all people should know that entrance into the kingdom requires a new birth. And then Jesus lays it all plainly before Nicodemus. Essentially, he says this. Nick, don't worry about how you become born again. 
Instead, just see me rightly. Don't get wrapped up in all the inner workings that go on, the divine mind of God that we have very little privy to. You just take care of what you can take care of, and that is understanding me. See me rightly, Nick, and then you will be born again. And then Jesus gives Nicodemus a bigger picture of him. Uh, Jesus gives Nicodemus a more rounded, fully orbed understanding of who Jesus is and why he came so that, so that Nicodemus could believe and enter. He says, Nick, first off, I'm the, I'm the son of man. Remember Daniel chapter 7? <laughs> Daniel talked about this son of man. Daniel had a vision and he saw into heaven and that God's very right hand of throne um, was one like a son of man who was given dominion and glory and the kingdom of God to rule over all nations forever and ever. Nick, guess what? You're looking at him. I'm the son of man. That God has given dominion over this entire universe. It's me. And Nick, you remember that amazing story that was kind of confusing that the story of Moses and that, that bronze snake on a stick. You remember that? Remember how God had rescued his people out of Egypt and promised to care for them and love them and bring them into the promised land. And yet they continually grumbled and complained and rebelled. Remember how God rightly judged their sin by sending poisonous snakes into their midst and people were bid and some were dying? But you remember how the people repented and cried out to God for forgiveness? And you remember what God instructed Moses to do? Moses. Yes, God. Cast a bronze serpent and put it on a stick and lift it up high. So people, when they look at it, they'll be healed and they will not die. Nick, you remember that story? Guess what? Nick, that story points to me. I'm the one who in a few years is going to be put on a stick. I'm going to be high and lifted up. And on that day, I'm going to carry your sins so you can be cleansed. Nick, that's me that that God was talking about through Moses. You see what Jesus is doing? He's He's trying to help Nicodemus. Nicodemus, don't worry about how it all happens. Stop looking here and there. Just look at me. This is who I am. Get my identity right and you will be born again. And to confirm God's loving intent for the whole world to hear this message. Jesus says those famous lines in, in, in verse 16. It's typically not part of this, of this passage, but I brought it in because it flows well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In one short passage, Jesus simultaneously um, presents us with two seemingly contradictory truths. Only God can give new birth, and you need to believe in Christ, and then you'll receive this new birth, right? How can this be? I like the illustration that the uh, famous American Bible teacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, taught. He used it in his congregation often. And when he did, he would ask his congregation... 
to imagine a cross, but a cross that is so big that there is a door in it that a person can walk into. And over the door are the words from the book, from the book of Revelation that say, okay, it's the King James Version, but a whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. These words represent the free and universal offer of the gospel. By God's grace, the message of salvation is for everyone. Every man, woman, and child who will come to the cross is invited to believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Now, on the other side of the door, as you enter and as you turn around, you read another sign with these words from the book of Ephesians. Chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. God's sovereign choice upon whom he gives new birth is best understood in hindsight. Those who make a decision for Christ find that God first made a decision for them in eternity past. How do we process what Jesus is saying? Perhaps you're here and you think you're doing fine without God's help. You're just one business deal away from being okay. You're just one this or that away from whatever you think is going to complete your life. My friend, with great love I say this, you're simply just chewing on the bitter leaves of life, thinking that they can satisfy you. Become born again. Trust in Christ so that you may... Finally and forever enjoy the sweet taste of the nectar that is a life um, in Christ. Most of us here are Christians, born again Christians. Uh, what this pleasant, what what this, what we need to be reminded is how pleasant this teaching is. This is good news for us. A miracle has taken place in your life. You are not the person you once were. Be reminded of this. Delight in God's grace towards you. Continue drinking the nectar of the life that Jesus alone provides you. Give him thanks and praise. Do you know what happened to Nicodemus? John tells us two times later in his gospel, John gives us an update on Nicodemus' progress. Um, And what, what happens is we see that Nicodemus begins to see, and eventually he enters into the kingdom. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus tries to advocate for Jesus in front of the whole Sanhedrin. And then in chapter 19, along with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus takes Jesus' body and lays him in a tomb. In Nicodemus' day, understand this, this was, this was considered women's work, and it was gross. But something had changed in Nicodemus' heart that he was willing now to serve Jesus in such humble ways. Nicodemus was born again. Now, do you want to know what happened to Don? Well, a job change took her away from the East End of Long Island. But before she left... God gave her new birth. Don, who wanted to make sure we weren't one of those born-again churches, came to our Christianity Explored class a few years back. 
a class that allows people really to see Jesus for who he is. Who he is, why he came, what does it mean to follow him? God, in love for Dawn, made her new so that she could see and enter the kingdom. And she did. Dawn, who wanted nothing to do with being born again, is born again. Let's pray. Father, your, your mind um, confounds us at times. You are um, in many ways mysterious. Um, and yet we know that you are good. We're thankful that you are God and we are not. We're thankful in your sovereign grace. You make us new. You give us wings so that we can see Jesus rightly. And respond to him with, with true faith and belief. We thank you for the new birth from above. May we walk in this truth. More and more we pray. Amen.